You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Jasper. And this is Randy. We watched all eight, nine, ten, eleven Tarantino films. <laughs> And now we're going to talk about his newest one and which of the seven, eight, nine, ten of the Tarantino movies are the best and the worst. We're going to rank them in a list. List. List episode. Welcome to the final episode of season Tarantino. Hashtag Tarantino has now died. I'm so glad. I don't have to, I don't have to use Tarantino anymore because it's funny, but it's stupid. <laughs> yes. It was good while it lasted. I mean, by that, I mean like the first three episodes, and then it just got kind of tiring. <laughs> so, are you talking Tarantino or are you talking the season as a whole? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> okay. So, like I said, we will be discussing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because that will wrap up all the Tarantino movies. Yeah. So, I'm excited. I'm super excited for this. Um, Jasper. You inspired this whole theme. This is our first themed season, which I personally have enjoyed. But this all started from an outtake, from a random conversation that didn't... You can hear it, listener, if you go back to the very end of season two. But it wasn't even supposed to be in the podcast. Randomly, we were talking about Tarantino movies and how you had not seen any of his earlier ones. Basically, the ones that skyrocketed him into, like, legend status. You hadn't seen any of them. Yeah. So how do you feel now that you've seen all of them? Well, I will say his his earlier work, I can see why that skyrocketed him. Even though I haven't really seen a lot, a lot of older movies, you can kind of see how his movies stood out in the time they were released. You know, if okay. you see what I'm saying? Okay, I think so, yeah. The, ja- the Jasper way of complimenting a movie sometimes feels very underhanded. <laughs> Even though, you know, this is... Yeah. For an older movie, but no, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, because I mean, like, it was for a while there, like early 90s, it was kind of like copy paste movies, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. Just kind of regular theme, da, 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 you know, oh, different character, different in the story. And his were just like, no, I'm just going to make the movie I want to make, you know. <laughs> I mean, I think you really keyed on into something beyond like the Tarantino style. I think you keyed into something that made his early movies so popular and also so why they were so impactful on the film mm-hmm. industry because it did kind of it shook that up. It kind of broke it broke a lot of uh studios and uh movie creators out of that I don't know, not to say it was in a rut, but out of that rut kind of shook things up a bit. All right. Well, hey, before we really dive too far into that, Let's go ahead and talk about the movie at hand. Now, I, I'm so torn on how to handle this review. What I'm talking about, obviously, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're going to discuss that movie now, but I'm torn because it's still very possible a lot of people haven't watched this movie yet. And mm-hmm. if you haven't watched this movie, do not listen to anything that spoils the movie or read anything about the movie. So I feel like we should... Try to discuss it as much as we can without spoiling it initially, but before we give any kind of spoilers, we'll give a big warning, because I'm pretty impressed with, I mean, if you start searching it up now, I'm sure there's headlines and stuff that's going to give away plot point spoilers, but I'm pretty impressed with the fact that I, I did see this pretty quick after release, but I was still able to see it without it being spoiled. Were you able to see this without being spoiled? Yeah, no, I, I went in to this this movie not even reading a review because you okay. kind of actually warned me the night you watched it. Mm-hmm. 
So I'd even I even check YouTube on it. I'd even check any like article. I just went in and watched it. Okay, interesting. See, and I think what people know about the movie and about what the movie's based on beforehand has a big impact on the movie. And so I also want to gauge that once we get into the, you know, what you knew about what the movie was kind of based on, but I'm going to hold off until we hit the spoiler section. So once upon a time in Hollywood written and directed by Quentin Tarantino starring a whole bunch of people as usual in Tarantino movies, but primarily Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, and I feel like there's other people. I'll just leave it at that because that's kind of the main cast. Those are our leads. Overview. A faded television actor and his stunt double strive to achieve fame and success in the film industry during the final years of Hollywood's golden age in 1969, Los Angeles. Season Tarantino came at like kind of the perfect time. Again, this is why I wish we could have rushed this episode out a little sooner because I knew the internet Tarantino was all over the internet and it was just building and building till the release of this movie. It's since kind of died down, but that's okay. So point is there was a lot of hype kind of building up into this movie. Jasper, did you know really anything about this movie going into it? And what are your initial impressions? I didn't really know anything going into this into the movie. I knew the the premise of it, but I will say this. So the first was two and a half hours long, almost three. It's long. There's a part like I think I want to say about an hour and 10 minutes that it really just dragged. It was very, very, very slow for a while. But then it just there's parts where he just like kind of like pop you back into it. You know? Yeah, it's two hours and 41 minutes long. But, uh, Overall, I really like this movie. So I knew it had to do, at least tangentially, with Sharon Tate and the Sharon Tate murder. I didn't know if they were if that played into the movie, but I knew Charles Manson was a character who, honestly, and I don't feel like this is spoilers. You see him like twice, maybe. Like he's barely there. Yeah, he's in the trailer too. So in fact, it's so interesting. Because that really is just tangential to the actual, the main plot of the story. Going into it, I didn't know that there were, I figured there was a lot of fictionalization going on, but I didn't know there were any fictional characters. But Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters were not real. They are are fictional characters set in this time period. There's aspects of this movie I really like. But man, it drags. I 100% agree with you. There are times when it does pull me back in because, you know, like when Brad Pitt goes out to Spawn Ranch, just there's there's moments with tension and, you know, there's good Tarantino sequences. Like he's just, he's really good with sequences. But there's so many moments of just driving and not talking. Like it's weird for a Tarantino movie. It's on one hand, at times, not very Tarantino, but yet still like the most Tarantino out of all of his movies in a way. It's so self-indulgent where he's just like, I want to watch Brad Pitt, a 70s looking. Yeah, I know it's 69, but he's got the 70s style already. 70s looking Brad Pitt uh, driving around a 1969 Los Angeles for like 20 minutes. Easy. And, uh, and then we do that. So... It's so slow. Like, I kind of feel like Tarantino self-indulgence. A lot of times it, I don't mind it. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's, you can kind of roll your eyes. But in this case, it feels like it's half the runtime, and it's it kind of hurt, hurt the movie for me a little bit. Yeah, I will say the runtime, like, I was starting to get really bored. If this movie was... An hour shorter, it just it'd been amazing, you know. But then, do we if if you shorten it, do you lose his his vision, you know, kind of thing, kind of question? I mean, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he would definitely feel that way. He actually he did get final cut, and I don't know how common that is with his movies. I mean, it's Tarantino, so I'm assuming he can pretty much just do whatever he wants at this point. So there was the studio changed hands like in the during the production, but Tarantino was able to retain like final cut, which is a big deal for a director. 
he was supposed to do it for the Weinstein company, and then that whole falling out happened, and then yeah, they switched hands. Oh, maybe that was it. Okay, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, Final Cut is a big deal, and that's definitely how we have long sequences of just you know Brad Pitt driving. Now that said, like there's times when, for example, when Brad Pitt's character goes back to his trailer, I guess his house which is of course right next to a, a movie theater because or a, you know a drive-in because Tarantino's such a sucker for just movies and this is that's what this is this is all about that but just him going back Brad Pitt's character's whole like feeding the dog like just this long sequence of his uh routine of how he feeds the dog even that was like interesting to me I don't know why I don't know what it was like that was pretty good but you get a lot of stuff like that and it does drag. The movie is really, it's kind of like a, a bro love story. It's a relationship story about DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's characters. Like, it's it's about their friendship for the most part. Mm-hmm. And, of course, also about DiCaprio's, you know, kind of struggling. He's an actor towards the end of his career, essentially, and he's kind of struggling with that. But I, I do like the plot. I like the characters. I feel like who are they? Let's see. DiCaprio plays Rick Dalton and Brad Pitt plays Cliff Booth. And I feel like their relationship is well-written and interesting. And they each have interesting dynamic. Brad Pitt's character is obviously the very well-put-together, maybe not mentally sound, but well-put-together character. While, you know, Rick Dalton's kind of a mess, but they complement each other well. Yeah. So I I did enjoy that. I feel like their characters are well-written and it's an interesting dynamic. And everyone else is just kind of tangential. They have important roles in the movie, but there's so many other characters that are... Basically, any character that's based on a real person is kind of tangential. I'm trying to think of what else to say without getting into spoilers. That's the hard part. Okay. This is... We're going to do this weird way. I actually want to do star ratings before we finish the conversation. Because I want to do star ratings and then get into spoilers. And I want to do it that way because if you haven't seen this movie, I want to give you like kind of where I sit on it before getting into spoilers. And then, I don't know, tell you to skip ahead like 15, 20 minutes. Because I really, you should avoid spoilers if possible. So, so stop listening now. Wait, 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 wait. Not now. Uh, Not now? I want to give my now. star. I want to give star rating first, and then tell him to stop listening, so we can discuss the finale. Stop listening now. <laughs> Don't listen to Jasper. You know what? Stop listening to Jasper. Good. Now keep listening to me. Okay. No. <laughs> this is where you edit out my audio, so that I'm not even talking for like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jasper. Mm-hmm. Where did you sit? For rating, I, I rated mine on Letterboxd a while ago. I don't know if you've seen mine, so I want to start with I you. see it, but I don't remember it. Okay, good. I'm going to give it, even though even though I took a, a whole star for, for length and losing me for a little bit, I gave it a four out of five. Okay. That seems totally fair. Yeah, I was a little torn. I'll say this. I think it's a good movie, and I recommend watching it. Mm-hmm. That said... I'm not in a rush to rewatch it, but I'd be very curious if my star rating went up or down on a rewatch. I could see it going down. Jasper, because you've gotten pretty good at predicting this, what do you think I gave this? I want to say a three and a half or a three. Three and a half, which is on the lower end of the uh, Tarantino spectrum for me. Yeah, I give this three and a half. I rated it pretty soon after watching it. It's been a, at the time of recording. It's been a little while since I watched it. I think there's a lot of super solid stuff in it that said it's over long. It feels kind of over long, like it could do to be trimmed down a bit. And this is one of the first times where I feel like Tarantino being self-indulgent and basically just Truly, like I, I, I feel like Tarantino makes movies he wants to watch, and that's not a bad thing. But I feel like this is Tarantino, like this is just pure Tarantino fantasy, and we can get more <laughs> into that. But it's pure Tarantino fantasy to the detriment of the film a little bit. There's so many feet shots. There's so many feet shots that they're 
gross, dirty, disgusting feet. <laughs> but I feel yeah. like at this point, yeah. Why do we need that? Is my question. <laughs> I feel like at this point he knows everyone knows, and he's just kind of trolling us with it. But whatever. It's this 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 is Tarantino fantasy. End of the golden age Hollywood, pure Tarantino fantasy. So let's actually get into spoilers now because this is a big deal. A listener, check out the show notes wherever you're listening to this at. The episode description will have timestamps. And if you want to avoid spoilers, which if you haven't seen this, I 100% recommend you avoid spoilers. Check out the timestamps for the R rankings and just jump ahead to that. Okay. Jasper, did you know anything about the Sharon Tate murder, the, you know, the Charles Manson murders going into this? So I knew that Sharon Tate was murdered. Okay. And I know about Charles Manson, but weirdly did not know that Charles Manson killed her or his family. What he called the family killed her. Yeah. So in real life, Charles Manson, Charles Manson didn't technically even. Yeah, he wasn't even there, but he had his kind of hippie commune, most of them very impressionable young girls, and he talked them into going to kill Sharon Tate and whoever was there, which included Sharon Tate's friend. And and it's, it was a horrible deal because Sharon Tate was like she is in the movie. She was pregnant and whatever. It's just a bad scene, but it's something that also had very significant cultural impact because it's the end of the sixties, but it also kind of marked the end of hippies, the hippie era. It kind of put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths for hippies. Cause it was this, this deranged hippie group that killed a, uh, you know, this beautiful actress, this pregnant actress and stuff, but it also kind of, it changed Hollywood in general and the tone shifted. That's why I think Tarantino really kind of focused on this time period because that's a big deal. Now, that said, I feel like if you didn't know anything, like, and I, I didn't know a lot of specifics, but, you know, yeah, I knew that much. I knew she was murdered by Manson family members. If you went into this movie not even knowing that, you would be so confused when the movie ends, like the people that sat ahead of me that didn't seem to know anything about anything. They were just like, mm -hmm. I, I don't get it. I don't <laughs> like what's I don't what's what's the point? I don't get it. Because, spoilers, 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 Tarantino goes Inglorious Bastard style and rewrites history in this. Uh, you know, a la shooting Hitler in the face and blowing up all the major Nazis. Tarantino changes history. Sharon Tate does not get murdered. Instead, the Manson family members get sidetracked into Rick Dalton's house and get into a fight with Rick Dalton's wife. And uh, Cliff Booth, Brad Pitt's character, and eventually Rick Dalton himself. And the movie just, it goes to 11 out of nowhere. It's so insane. But it's, it's so interesting because the movie plays on, like, that's its one sense of tension. And it touches on it. And it's partway through the film, and this is a criticism some people have had, partway through the film, Kurt Russell starts narrating and it's one of those things. Tarantino has a habit of doing that in these last couple of movies of most of the movie just goes without narration. And then all of a sudden there's a narrator like three fourths of the way through. But at least it was Kurt Russell this time, not Tarantino himself. Mm -hmm. Tarantino, if it was Tarantino himself, would have been like three steps too far for me. But it all builds on this tension of like this expectation that you know what's going to happen. It's all building to, that's its main source of tension, is building to the night that Sharon Tate was murdered. So then when we actually get there, it derails into this hyper-violent, over-the-top scene where Rick Dalton, Cliff Booth, and the wife brutally murder the Manson family people who've come to kill them or kill Sharon Tate. Like, it's insanity. Not, not that the movie isn't over top, over the top at points, but it also does so many cutaways to movies that Rick Dalton was in and movies that he wasn't in that somebody else got a role. Like he, they put him in a Steve McQueen movie for a scene. Like there's so many cutaways. Cliff Booth even gets cutaways and flashbacks that 
this scene feels so out of place the whole time I'm like they're gonna undo it like this is gonna happen and then it's gonna like go back to reality and Sharon Tate's getting murdered or something Mm -hmm. because it it ends up with Leonardo DiCaprio pulling out a flamethrower and torching one of the people in in his pool like it's so over the top that I'm like this can't be what's actually happening in the movie but it is right like it it just it's so out there at the end that's that's what almost just that end part like the last was that 30 minutes 30 20 30 minutes uh-huh is just pulled me in because i was just like oh my god i mean i loved it it went a long way towards redeeming not that the movie needed to be re- needed to be redeemed but it went a long way towards kind of currying my favor at the end because that scene's insane it's not fun because some of the violence is like really kind of bothersome. When Cliff Booth is slamming the one lady's face into like the edge of the fireplace mantle, mm-hmm. Melanie and I, this, we, I went and seen this in the theater with Melanie. We both physically like st- started crawling back into our chairs, just like, oh my God, like it, it caused a physical reaction in me. So I can't say it's fun, but it's so unexpected and visceral that it kind of gets gets your adrenaline going out of nowhere. Yeah, especially when he orders the dog to to attack the one at the door. I was like, wow, that felt like someone actually got attacked by like a dog with no protection. You know, <laughs> I'm pretty impressed that the internet has done pretty well at not necessarily spoiling this. Like, if you're not searching it out it's put possible that it hasn't even yet been spoiled for you. And that's good because right. I feel like it would fundamentally change the experience of the movie. If you knew what was coming, there is one thing you kind of made your spoiler, but uh, there is one thing I always still wanted to figure out what had happened was cliff and his wife. They never really, they kind of give you an idea of what happened. It sets it up to appear that it was intentional. Because it looks like, because mm-hmm. she's just nagging him, and it looks like he's preparing to shoot that uh, little harpoon gun thing. But, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That was interesting and weird. What did you think, the big controversy, I mean, uh, the, it's not really a big controversy, but what did you think of the uh, Bruce Lee depiction? Because that's a thing that, of course, it's got endless headlines and articles written about. I didn't think it was too bad. I'm a fan of Bruce Lee, but I have not really watched a lot of Bruce Lee movies, which I kind of want to change that and go back and watch some. But uh, I could see why people people have a problem with it because he, you know, in the movies he's he's seen as humble and stuff, and then in this he's like an arrogant asshole. Yeah, and I mean that's something. So I didn't know a whole lot about Bruce Lee's. I mean, I'd seen whatever biopic they made out of him, but even those are always super complimentary. So I hadn't seen a lot about Bruce Lee outside of the characters he plays in movies. And the characters he plays in movies usually are very stoic and humble. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm sure this is like the depiction here is heightened. But from what I understand, he was kind of arrogant, I guess. So I don't know. In a movie where two fictional characters end up murdering Manson family members that were supposed to kill Sharon Tate. How can you really take any of it as like, yep, this is supposed to be, this is how it was. We're portraying reality here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, it's weird to end a review with, you know, having already done the star ratings, but that's all I really have to say about once upon a time in Hollywood. Like final thought is just, it's good. And I recommend watching it, but I was super curious to hear how you handled it, Jasper, because it is it is long and very slow paced. Yeah. And like I said, I said it it was the different tangents. I want to say very pulp fiction, you know, going on here. Kind of doing that jump, 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 you know. But there was a point where like, you know, you were still you were still locked in, but it just it ran too long. That's all I gotta say about it. But like you said, I would I would tell someone to watch this movie. Would I add it to my collection? You know, if if I had a DVD collection or you know movie collection, I would say yes. But would I watch this more than probably once or twice a year? No. It is unique among Tarantino's movies. I feel because 
And that's part of maybe what makes it feel long is it doesn't have that constant Tarantino dialogue. It doesn't have, you know, I've been saying all season on the podcast, like, that's what Tarantino's good at. Like, nothing's happening, but he makes it intense and enthralling. And most of that is through dialogue. And this is like, there's nothing happening and there's no dialogue. And it does add tension later on. And some scenes have more tension than others, but it doesn't have that Tarantino dialogue. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not what I was expecting. By the way, that was his 10th movie. Unless you want to count Kill Bill, volume one and two as one movie. Then it was his ninth. But he, he made Death Proof. That happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which on the list, it shows he made 10. The list I put together or a, another list? No, the, yeah, the list you showed me. Yeah. Yeah, because Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 are listed as... I mean, those are two different movies. They're two separate movies. I can buy him connecting those two in his mind as one movie more than him just writing off Death Proof. Like, I buy that as... If he wants to make use that as the logic behind I've only made nine movies, I get it because I believe Kill Bill... I mean, those were that was supposed to be one movie. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, spoilers are over. If you're rejoining us, uh, good on you for actually skipping forward and sticking with it. Now we are going to present our rankings, our ranked lists, our rankings of the 10 Tarantino movies, counting Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as separate movies. Which is interesting in itself because as we talked about with, specifically we talked about it with Jesse when we covered Kill Bill Volume 2. They have different feels, so like they definitely feel like different movies to me. Mm-hmm. Jasper, how do you want to handle this list? So we each have our rankings. Do we want to alternate, and do we want to start from number ten and work towards number one, like low to high? I would say low to high. So let's alternate. I'm going to start with my number ten spot. So this is. Hmm, what I consider the lesser of the Tarantino movies. Now, keep in mind, after I ranked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I did my star rating on Letterboxd, and I was curious, so I looked up what I had rated all the Tarantino movies this season. Three and a half was as low as I went, but three Tarantino movies got three and a half. Three and a half is still a pretty good rating, so keep in mind... My three movies that are at the bottom of the list, I don't think they're bad movies. And if you go back and listen to any of the episode, yeah. you'll hear that. They're, I, just, they're just the lesser of, of the They're list. the lesser. So in my number 10 spot, I have a feeling Tarantino would not disagree because I put Death Proof as the lowest. What's your number 10? Um, I'm going to say, I want to say it's Jackie Brown. Okay, interesting. Because I was... I was either on Death Proof or Jackie Brown, but I'm going to say Jackie Brown. I could see that. I could see that. Jackie Brown, as we discussed, is definitely not the most memorable Tarantino movie. Number nine. I'm going to go ahead and skip over to you. What did you put in your number nine slot? Nine would be Death Proof. Okay, interesting. Well, for my number nine, I put... This could be controversial. I put Kill Bill Volume 2. Okay. Kill Bill Volume 1's a, a lot of fun. Kill Bill Volume 2's not bad, but it's it's much more dull. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. What about your number 8 spot, sir? I would say Kill Bill Volume 2. <laughs> okay, interesting. Well, this is good. I was curious as to like how much we'd line up and if we like overlapped 100%, it might be kind of boring, but So my number 8 spot. And keep in mind, listener, Part of the reason I really wanted to do this ranking list is because all of all 10 of these movies are very fresh in our minds. And I feel like that definitely impacted some of the ratings, like especially the last couple movies that we've covered for me. My number eight spot, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sorry, Tarantino. I'm sure like he puts this real high in his personal list. But, you know, like Kill Bill and Death Proof, it's just kind of meandering. <laughs> it, it There's a lot of meandering. So what's in your... Number seven slot. Uh, Once Upon a Time. Interesting. So my seventh is Jackie Brown. You know. Okay. I think it's good. I think it's enjoyable. I don't feel like it's described as a hangout movie. And I feel, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now that's that's a hangout movie. It doesn't feel as slow to me. On this recent rewatch, 
I was pretty pulled into it the whole time. So, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's a little slower, but still good. It just lacks some of the, oh, I hesitate to say Tarantino charm, but some of the Tarantino charm. And I think that has to do with it being like the only movie that is based, that he didn't write. It's based on a story he didn't, he did not write. So, and what's your number six? And I kind of don't want to say this would be Inglorious Bastards. Whoa. That's way lower than I would have expected. Again, a kind of movie, even though it, it kept you in that one kind of long, kind of long. Fascinating. Okay. My number six is Kill Bill Volume 1. Okay. Okay. I got no reasoning. I mean, I, I guess I do, but I like it. I like Kill Bill. I like both Kill Bills, but I feel like my top five are just better movies. I would classify at least my top four as iconic, you know, some of the greatest movies. So, breaking into our top five, Jasper, what's your number five? My five would be Kill Bill. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, I'm counting my top four as these ones are the ones that really set the the tone for me this season. Okay, interesting. Well, my number five is The Hateful Eight. This recent rewatch, I actually enjoyed it way more, even though it went down Mm -hmm. a star rating for me, but I actually enjoyed it way more than I had expected out of all of them. And maybe it's because it's one I've seen the least or or one of them that I've seen the least. I would be more inclined to rewatch Hateful Eight than some of the uh, movies lower on the list right now. So, yeah. So now we're breaking into the top four. And these are the, like you said, your top four are the ones that kind of cemented the season for you or whatever. Coming in at number four is Reservoir Dogs. I have the same at number four. Okay. Yeah, no, I think I think this is definitely great. And, you know, what a super solid directorial debut. But one, two, and three are masterpieces. So how about your number three? My number three is The Hateful Eight. Oh, I'm so surprised to see it rank that high on your list. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has a very Reservoir Dogs feel to it. Mm-hmm. I just really like all the extra parts of that movie, you know, and then watching the extended version, which I'm actually going to go back and watch the non-extended version just to kind of see what they did cut. But yeah, I, w- I was really, I really like this movie. Okay, well, my number three was Inglorious Bastards. Oh, good. Solid. So my top three, two are actually maybe my current favorite Tarantino movies, and then one of them, one of them is just, it's a good movie, but also, like, because of its status. In the halls of movies, you know. But Mm -hmm. Inglorious Bastards is definitely one of my favorite because it's, because of the combination of style and visual appeal and it's full of those Tarantino tense dialogue scenes. All right. That brings us to number two. And I think we both have the same two movies remaining. What's your number two? My number two is Pulp Fiction. Oh, fascinating. My number two is Django Unchained. So why does Pulp Fiction get your number two? I really like the movie because I love Travolta, which is weird for me. I love Travolta's character. And then I also really, really like Samuel's. But this one gets two, not one, because I just, it lost me on a couple parts. That one was kind of lengthy, but it's not as lengthy as a lot of other ones. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so number my number two is Django Unchained. It's one of, it's definitely one of my favorite Upon this recent rewatch of all of them, uh, it's one of the ones I enjoyed rewatching the most. And for a lot of the same reasons as Inglorious Bastards, it looks so good. It's got a lot of great tense scenes, but Inglorious Bastards has kind of like, I don't know, has kind of like this attitude that Django doesn't have that I appreciate that Django doesn't have. Like Inglorious Bastards is very Tarantino. You can just hear it. Even though it's placed in World War II, you can just very much hear the Tarantino. And not that you can't in Django. But I like the tone of Django better. So that leaves our number one spots. And it's pretty obvious then what our number one spots are. But go ahead. What's your number one? 
Django. Django. One of my favorite movies. All right. So why is Django your favorite or the best Tarantino movie? Okay, so now saying lengthy movie, but this one keeps you in it like the whole time. But what I was really taken aback by was was Jamie Foxx's uh, acting in this. He did really, really well. You know, he played a very intense person. And he did it really well, which is usually because it's funny because I always know him as kind of a comedy guy. But also the Christopher Waltz character is just you never know what he's really up to and always trying to dictate what where the story's going with those two. It always kept me engaged. And that's why it's my number one. So my number one is Pulp Fiction. Although I would agree, I my current favorite might actually be Django for, you know, a lot of the same reasons you said. But Pulp Fiction, I think, is of the movies will still be considered kind of Tarantino's masterpiece. And it's fun to watch. It's inventive. And also for the impact it had on movies, this is definitely like the movie that shook up the movie industry in the 90s. And it holds up. I think it holds up so well. And it also looks great. The setting is not as interesting to me as Django or Inglorious Bastards, but super solid. So I had to give Pulp Fiction the number one. So to a quick recap, number one for me was Pulp Fiction, and then Django Unchained, Inglorious Bastards, Reservoir Dogs, Hateful Eight, Kill Bill, Volume 1, Jackie Brown, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Kill Bill Volume 2, and Death Proof. Jasper's rankings were a little bit different in interesting ways, so I'm happy about that. Jasper's number one was Django Unchained, followed by Pulp Fiction, The Hateful Eight, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill Volume 1, Inglorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Kill Bill Volume 2, Death Proof, and Jackie Brown bringing up the rear. So, season Tarantino has come to an end. Once Upon a Time in GCU season three. It's been a long. It's been a long season. No. <laughs> it felt like a very long season. There's just so much going on this season outside of the show that kind of impacted the show. Mm-hmm. But I'm very glad we did the Tarantino rewatch, the great Tarantino rewatch of 2019. And I know we're not the only ones with with uh, you know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out, but yeah, man, this was a good call because I enjoyed rewatching all of these. I was a little hesitant before we started the season because so many of his movies are so long. So I'm like, oh, I don't know, it's going to be a, a slog, a slog. It's going to be a slog to get through some of them. But I didn't find that was the case, except for the one that I'd never seen before. <laughs> that was the, one of the right. hardest ones to get through. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, man. Well, how do you feel then? You feel good about these Tarantino movies and stuffs? Yeah, I mean, the, oh my God. he's probably one of my top directors right now, I would say. It was kind of nice to watch the movie, but also as we're watching the movie, see the backstory of how these movies came about for him, you know? Mm-hmm. It's interesting watching through his progression as a filmmaker. Like his early movies, like I said, cemented him as kind of like a great, a great director. But I feel like mm-hmm. for me... That Inglorious Bastards Django, period. From then on, like his latter movies. And yeah, I wasn't wild about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but just the visual flair that kind of got added into him and seeing Tarantino in wildly different time periods and scenarios and settings. Right. Because I remember not being super thrilled with Kill Bill, even Kill Bill Volume 1 when I first saw it. But then to come out of the Kill Bill movies, there was a long period. And, you know, Death Proof was in there and I enjoyed it. But then we got Inglorious and Django, and those are stellar. And Hateful Eight, it's a bit different pace, but also stellar. So he's Tarantino. I know you're not. Yeah, you're gonna find people that probably don't like him, or maybe aren't super thrilled with his movies. But you're not gonna find a whole lot of people that are gonna debate his skill as a filmmaker. So you really can't be questioned, you know? Don't you question it? All right. Well, guess what? We have listener email. Yay! We can't go without some type of cinematic universe. Matthew Downs has done us a solid. Uh, you could hear Matthew on our last episode 
in which we discussed, uh, what was it? The Hateful Eight and Magnificent Seven. He was our guest. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can also hear Matt on his own podcast, 60s Reboot Podcast, which you can find at emcpod.net slash 60s Reboot. Yes, that will take you to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network, which we are also on because I run that Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So he sent us an email for this episode. He says, Greetings, my two favorite movie reviewers that have replaced Siskel and Ebert. I have, <laughs> I have for you a combined cinematic universe for the hashtag Terran season. It's a bit lengthy and is broken up into three movies. Sounds familiar. Maybe he'll actually finish mm-hmm. this one, unlike me in the past. So, <laughs> without further preamble, here's what I have. Three movie series with the characters from Quentin Tarantino. Hashtag Tarantino. The movies are Family of Blood, Code of Honor. Family of Blood, Soul Betrayal, and Family of Blood, Heart of Fire. I'm I'm liking this. I'm liking this already. Film number one starts with a voiceover of a young woman talking about how she comes from a long line of murderers and assassins. Her father, Bill, ran a group of hitmen and women and was the best in the business until he suffered a fatal heart attack when she was young. Now her mom has taken over the business. And business is booming. (laughs) Okay. Open with a young woman sitting on top of a building with a high-powered rifle watching a motorcade in some Asian city. (laughs) Just some Asian city. (laughs) Oh, God. Her earpiece crackles and a voice comes in, quote, Baby, the target is in the middle limo. Take out the driver and passenger in the back seat. Cobra will extract the package and bug out. Oh, my God. (laughs) The young woman replies, Affirmative, Mama Viper. Didn't... Okay, keep, keep it moving. The woman takes three shots at the limo, two in the driver's chest and one through the window and between the eyes of a well-dressed elderly Korean man. The car veers off the road and over the curb onto the sidewalk. Repelling down the side of the building face first is a middle-aged Japanese man holding an automatic pistol and a katana sword. The Japanese man lands on the roof of the car and shoots out the sunroof. He reaches inside and pulls out a messenger tube about the same length of the katana and slings it over his shoulder. Just then, the other cars in the motorcade stop and their doors fly open and North Korean soldiers come jumping out. BB from across the street takes her shots and shoots several other men. The Japanese man in the car leaps into action and takes out the rest of the men with his katana. Then his earpiece crackles and BB's voice comes over. Nice work. <laughs> God. Nice work, Uncle Hatari. Er, sorry, Cobra. Let's move. Mama Viper says the police are on the way. Cut to title. Family of Blood. (laughs) Ari Hanzo is... Oh, that's funny. Then title scene. Red Rock, Wyoming, 1865. What? Story then continues with a voiceover from Bibi. We learn that her dad was a descendant of a hired gunman named Chris Adams and that Chris met a descendant of her uncle, Hattori Hanzo, while fighting... The the Darmogu gang. Hanzo had a sword that was constructed in the mountains of Japan and was rumored to eat the souls of the slain as well as grant the user mystical powers. Wow, okay. That's, a, that's something. That's a twist. Thus setting the premise of the three films, we see how Bill's family as well as the Hanzos are linked to the sword. The first film establishes that the current Hanzo wants to find the sword with the help of Bebe and her mom and hopefully destroy it before it is used again to cause harm. The two go on a worldwide jaunt from the streets of North Korea to the back alleys of L.A. By the end of the film, we learn that the original sword is actually in the hands of a former associate of Bebe's dad, and that he isn't willing to separate from it, Marcellus Wallace. I love that connection, the sword connection. (laughs) (laughs) Also, as we go from location to location, we run into familiar characters like a flight attendant, a DEA agent that sticks his nose in other people's business, a retired boxer and his wife, and a strange former hitman walking in the desert. I also like that Samuel's character from Pulp Fiction is just walking in the desert. There is also a few flashbacks that tell us some backstory on the mystical Hanzo sword and its role in history. 
Okay, so he did do a little bit of a Randy. He really fleshed out the first film, and then we get kind of a, a just a quick breakdown of the later films. <laughs> Movie two is about Marcellus using his influence and power to keep the sword, as well as stop Bebe from getting close to him and his empire. In a subplot, we learn more about Bebe's mom, Beatrix Kiddo, and her family's relationship through history with the sword. Beatrix's descendant turns out to be Aldo Reigns, and he once ran into the Hanzo sword in Germany when it was on its way to being presented to the Fuhrer by the Emperor of Japan. Movie 2 ends with Wallace losing the sword and several other things in a fight that puts Pulp Fiction's fight scene with Marcellus and Bruce Willis to shame. Movie 3 opens with ramifications of Bebe learning about the true reason of her father's death. She runs away with Hanzo with the mystical sword. The sword, now full of evil souls from over the years, begins to influence her decisions. She decides to get revenge on her mother for her father's death, and now the two women fight as Beatrix tries to convince Bibi that it was a wise choice to kill her father. At the end of the fight, the sword is broken by Beatrix's sword, and the two embrace as the influence of the sword is gone. As the two leave the abandoned warehouse, a young black woman pulls up, in a beautiful Porsche and points a large gun at Beatrix and says, remember me, bitch, and shoots the assassin. Fade to black. Oh my gosh, dude. Uh, he says, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did thinking it up. Matt D. Thanks, Matt. That was great. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm on board. I want, I want to watch these movies. Maybe we'll get a Netflix miniseries of something like this. Yep, and then it'll be canceled and bought by Disney. <laughs> canceled and then bought by Disney, who will do nothing with it. Yep. Sorry. Told that need to be said. That does it for season three. We're going on break now. Which will be nice. Yay! It'll We're be, sh- be back in December. No, I'm joking. That'd be way too long. Way too long. I do have a so next month there is a Friday the thirteenth date coming up and even though we're going to be on between season break I can't resist the urge to do something Friday the 13th so we will have a between season special and I am trying to get Paul who you may have heard if you listen to our recent live podcast Paul H. Harder the third he's a big horror movie fan and uh, I'm going to try to line him up as a guest and do something Friday the 13th related. But other than that, well, yeah, we'll be on break for a little while. I don't know how long, but that's kind of the beauty of it. <laughs> also, the Grolux Podcast Episode 100 special is coming up very soon. Very soon. So that's exciting, and I have a feeling may derail GCU in some way. So my point is, we're going on break, but listen, we ha- we'll have more stuff we'll for be you. Back. We'll be back. We'll be back. We'll be refined. Yes. We, we'll know what we're doing, okay? So it's going to be season terror four now. No, I'm joking. How does that work? Never. What's that theme? That's when we watch all his movies in reverse. <laughs> like actually like reverse the movies themselves? Yeah, reverse the actual movie. See, everybody thinks Tarantino's such a good writer, but the true genius is when you watch them all backwards. That's when the true meaning, those hidden secrets are unlocked. That's when you f- really figure out his genius is when he puts subliminal messages. If you play Hateful Eight backwards, you get the movie Trick or Treat. Ooh, we could do season four her. F- four. I'm trying to put horror in there. <laughs> <laughs> season season Guillermo del Foro. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if we're going to do a theme season or not. Like I like I like having the theme. To- I would. Let's, no, let's lock it in. Let's do a horror season. Are you serious? Yeah, let's, I want to do it. Because I want to start watching horror movies. Season for Just, her. Season. <laughs> it just sounds so weird. It does. It sounds <laughs> like for her or for... We're doing a horror season, ladies and gentlemen. Because then we can take like September off, right? And then come right back into Halloween season. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, because then, you know, we can ride the coattails of uh, Candy Day. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know me, like uh, October, 
regardless how long we had planned to, we were coming back in October and it was going to be a bunch of horror movies because I can't help but do that. I've got to do that. We'll hash out the specifics before then. But horror movies, dude, all you had to say, let's do horror movies. And uh, (laughs) I went from like, well, I don't know if we'll do a theme or not. Yeah, let's do a theme. Horror. Let's go. We're doing it. Horror. Season four horror. Horror four. Far. He's in scream, scream, but the A is a four. I don't want to do scream. All right, everybody. Well, you have a good, good month. Although, like I said, I'm doing, I'm definitely doing a Friday the Thirteenth special. So we'll be back at some point during September. We can't miss that because that would that would kick off the season. Per, like, give a little taste to the next. Oh season. yes, it's a little taste of what of things to come. All right, everybody, like I said, we won't be gone long, as you can hear, and we'll be back with some horror movies. So, uh, you know, if we nail down a specific premise, we'll have kind of an idea season-wide. But if you have suggestions, reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, or go to Twitter and hit us up at GCU Podcast. Yes, we share the Facebook page with Grawlix Podcast, but we do have our own Twitter. And as always, you can find more episodes of this and just everything at GrawlixPodcast.com. It's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com. I've been Randall Sylvie. You can find me on Twitter at Randall Sylvie. I'm not going to spell it, but it doesn't have two L's, so I'll tell you that much. You can also find more of my stuff at RandallSylvie.com, or if, hey, if you need podcast editing services or just podcast production, hit me up at PodEdit.com. Jasper, where can they find you, and what have you been up to? They can find me on Twitter at Caronzo Media, which is K-O-R-A-N-S-O Media. And uh, soon to be back uh, streaming. Streaming on the, on the Mixer. Season 5. Jasper will actually be streaming. <laughs> Shut up. You've been, saying, so, you've been saying soon to be on Mixer every all, all season long. <laughs> but dude, you actually have a computer now. How's that been going? Yeah, yep. It's been going good. Just need to figure out, play around with OBS. Yeah, um, work out figure it kinks. somewhat out. Yeah, it it only runs in if you run the game in window mode. So I don't know what's going on. I just didn't figure it out.